Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Well, Father, we are, are thankful for all that you do and how you work through people. Uh, we are, again, thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. And now, Lord, as we open it, please give us understanding, but also the courage and the willingness to obey and follow wherever you lead. It is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, there's a story um, that uh, Max, Lucado, uh, Max Lucado is a Christian writer. And he tells a story of, um, of a church in Scotland back in the 1940s. It was a small church that was struggling to keep their doors open. And uh, there was a couple of, of the members, uh, two ladies actually, that were members of this church. Well, they were older ladies. They were um, invalids. They had some health problems. And, and that did not allow them to go to church anymore. However, these ladies... Uh, refused to allow their infirmities to get in the way of them serving God. And so that they actually became convinced that the community where they, the church was needed Jesus desperately, that, that this community and the church needed a revival. And so they were going to do something about it. And they decided, well, they're going to pray. And that's certainly a lesson for us when there, whatever situation we may go through, prayer. God is answering prayers. Well, they determined to make their house a house of prayer. And so around the clock, they prayed for God to do something powerful. And so one day, one of the ladies became convinced that God wanted um, an evangelist by the name of Campbell to come to the church and conduct a revival. So they talked to the pastor. The pastor contacted um, um, the evangelist, Campbell. Uh, but unfortunately, he was booked. He was, he was very busy. And so he had appointments everywhere to conduct revivals, so he couldn't come. But the ladies were not going to give up. So they continued praying and praying. And as it happened, some of the previous engagements that Campbell had, oh, well, began canceling on him. And now, all of a sudden, now he had the time to come in to this small church. And so he came to the small church, and he conducted five weeks of meetings, and, and the revival was so well received that hundreds showed up each night. In fact, we're told that even the, the taverns in the, in the local area closed up because they didn't have any patrons coming anymore because of the revivals. It was a total success. Amen. Now, you may think that the success of, of the revival had to do with the gift of this preacher, you know, how he was powerful in the, 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 the meetings. But the reality is that it was because of the faithfulness of these two ladies. These two ladies who, even though they couldn't come to church, they said, you know, this is important enough. We need to dedicate time. We need to dedicate our energy to this. This is important. The church needs a revival. This community needs a revival. Needs Jesus. And they prayed. And God answered their prayer. Amen. That's what God does. Now, you notice that the title of uh, the message this morning is Revival If. Revival If. By the way, you have a study guide in your bulletin that you can follow along. That will help you with our, our topic today. Now, uh, you can probably think of a, a number of things uh, that need to happen if the church is going to experience revival. Yeah. In fact... Um, Revival is something we've talked about before. Last year, in fact, my first sermon last year was on the subject of revival. It was, it, was, it was titled, The Logic of Revival. Yeah, revival is needed. Now, 
you may think, well, well, you know, if we've heard of revival before, why do we continue needing to hear about revival? Well, think about it. It's because we need revival. Because revival is needed. In fact, um, Ellen White says that a revival of truly godliness is our greatest need today. So revival is something we need. But now you may wonder, well, how do we know that? I mean, why do you say we need revival? How does one know if we need revival? If we need revival individually, how do I know? How do I know if the church needs revival? Well, I'm glad you asked. There is a, I want to share this checklist with you, and you have that in your study guide as well. It's a checklist. A number of questions that, that we need to ask ourselves to determine if we individually need revival, and of course, by extension, the church. Right, let's go over these with, uh, uh, together, the checklist. There are seven questions. Number one, is your heart crowded? Is your heart crowded? In other words, does Christ get all of your love or simply one of many pieces? Does that make sense? I've talked about the fact that one of the challenges of Christianity today, and specifically even Adventism, is how busy we have become. We are too busy. We're being pulled by you know, different places, you know, all at the same time. And, um, and so a lot of times, we don't have the time that God deserves of a life. You know, God should be our priority in our life, shouldn't he? He should be number one. But because we're so busy, our lives are so crowded, a lot of times God just gets the leftovers. We are crowded, or, or, or at least just gets one piece among many of the pieces that we have to give. So is your heart crowded? That's question number one. Again, you will need to answer, you need to answer your, those questions yourself. Number two, is your heart cold or calloused? That is, is your love for God and others fervent and constant? We ought to love God, right? How do we show our love for God? What is it? Loving others, obedience, but loving others. See, we, you know, loving God and loving others is tied together. You can't separate them, right? Remember, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second one is like it, right? Love your neighbor as you love thyself. You cannot love God or say that you love God when you don't love others. So if, if you feel that maybe, maybe your heart is uh, uh, callous, you're, 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 it's cold, uh, you acknowledge that maybe you're not, you don't really love others like you should, that's something you need to answer yourself if that's you. Is your heart cold or callous? Number three, is your heart corrupt? That is, do you crave or you treasure anything immoral in God's eyes? Hmm? No, we are, of course, all sinners and come short of the glory of God. We all struggle with the battle between good and evil. Paul talks about it in, in, in Romans chapter 7. But could it be that there's something in your life, something that you're really treasuring, something that you're really cherishing and, and you think about it constantly, something that you'd like to do that God does not approve. Is your heart corrupt? That's question number three. Number four, do you serve less today than you have in the past or that you're capable of serving today? Now, we serve God by serving others. We serve God also by serving in the church. Now, 
Could it be that, you know, maybe years ago you can think when you first got baptized, when you first came to the knowledge of Jesus, you were on fire for him. You could probably think about that, and you were serving in different ways, but you've noticed that that has changed in your life. Maybe because your life is crowded and you're so busy, but you're serving less than you did before. Or, or it could be that you realize that you could serve God today, you could serve in the church today, but you really don't. So is that you? Do you serve God less today than you did before? Number five, is your excitement or commitment to tell others about Jesus less today than it had been in the past? That is, are you silent when or where you used to speak up before? Again, uh, a lot of the experience, you know, that some have had when you first come to Jesus, when you first hear about the gospel, when you first got baptized, you are on fire for Jesus. You can't wait to tell somebody about what you've learned. You can't wait to tell somebody about uh, the gospel and about the love of God, right? Maybe, that, maybe you can experience that. I remember when I first got baptized, I got baptized on May 6, 1989. And on June 5th, I left for boot camp for basic training. Newly baptized, I was excited. I remember going to boot camp, and, and I remember telling people about, about, about Jesus. I remember this, this guy, um, he came from Puerto Rico too. Barbosa was his last name. Still remember his last name? And I shared everything with him. I gave him Bible studies about everything. I, I, I was excited to share that. But, it, you know, a, a lot of times what happens is that with the passage of time, you sort of become, I don't know, cold. That you don't share those things anymore. You hear sad stories about, um, you know, again, new members that are so excited about Jesus and about the gospel. You can sense it. They, they only talk about it. And then some other well, well-meaning members approach them and say, oh, you're, you're so excited. I, I said, that's great, but don't worry. That'll change. Yeah, that'll, you'll calm down with the passes of some years. You've heard, have you heard that? Some well-meaning members say that. That should not happen. We should get excited more and more as the time passes by. So, so if you acknowledge maybe that's your case, maybe this is, you know, you don't share Jesus as you were before or, or maybe before there were opportunities that you would create and, and speak about them that you don't anymore, maybe that's, maybe that's you. Number six, are you, are you living today in the present power of the Holy Spirit? That is, is your spiritual tank empty? Can you sense a weakness in your spiritual life? And only you, you can answer that question. Maybe you're not praying as often. Maybe you're not you know, studying the Bible as often. Maybe you're not coming to church as often. Is your spiritual tank weak? And finally, number seven, when others observe you, is your Christ light bright or is it flickering? Jesus said, you are the light of the world, right? We are to shine for Jesus, right? People are to look at us, and we, have, we ought to be a reflection of Christ. And since we're reflecting Christ, it is a powerful light, right? People are looking at you. If you say that you're a Christian, if they know you're a Christian, you are the center of attention. They're looking at you to see what kind of life you have. Are you giving the right example? Your, your light is shining brightly, or is it flickering? You know, when you see a little bulb flickering, the light is flickering, what's wrong? There's something wrong with that bulb, right? There, the connection is not there, right? There's something wrong with the bulb or the, the juice that's coming in there. It's not going there. The point is there's a problem. Is your, if your light is flickering, then there is a problem. Now, if you can answer yes to any of those questions, even partially, 
you need a revival. Now, I will tell you, I, I, I looked at these questions and applied them to myself, and I got to tell you, I need a revival. We need a revival. This, the church needs a revival. And think about it. If we say that we need to be revived, a revival, the implication is what? That we're dead. Only dead people need to be revived, right? If we need a revival, it's because we're dead. You know, the Bible has a lot of stories of revival, and we're going to look at one in particular today found in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's go there, 1 Samuel. And we're going to, today we're going to look at four requirements that need to take place if revival is going to happen. Four things from this story in 1 Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 3, 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now, during the, 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 the time, uh, the early time of the ministry of the prophet Samuel, uh, the children of Israel were in dire straits. They were in apostasy. The very uh, leaders, uh, both political and spiritual leaders, were corrupt. Now, if you're familiar a little bit with the story of, of Samuel, uh, um, Samuel, uh, uh, well, his mother was Hannah. His mother's name was Hannah, and Hannah was barren. She didn't have any babies. She, she wanted a male child, and she prayed God would give her a male child. She made a deal with God, Lord, if you give me a male child, I will dedicate him to you. And God answered her prayer, and she kept her word. After he was weaned, she brought him to the temple. He was a toddler. Think about it. He was a toddler, and she brings him to the, to the temple, and there he served God all his life. All right? So God speaks to Samuel early in his ministry. So Samuel's still a child. And God is speaking to him. So the first prophecy had to do with how God was going to deal with the corruption of his people. So we find this in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verses 11 through 13. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house. From beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Now, Eli was the high priest, and he had two sons, uh, Phinehas and, and Hophni, who were priests as well, and they were really, really corrupt. So God said, listen, this has to end. And so he was going to bring judgment on them and, and on Israel. And God did this by using the Israelites' arch enemies, the Philistines, right, to carry out this judgment. Now, the Philistines and the Israelites, they faced each other a number of times in battle. So we're told that the Philistines defeated the Israelites in Afik. And so the leaders of the Israelites, they, they thought of the brilliant idea that they were going to bring the Ark of the Covenant with them into the camp. So because they, 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 they concluded that, well, the Ark of the Covenant, that's the presence of God. So if we bring the Ark with us, well, God will be with us and we'll defeat the, the Philistines. And as it turns out, of course, the Philistines, when they heard about it, they, be, they were afraid too because they had heard about what God had done. Oh, the God is right there in the camp. We're doomed. But, you know, they, they made battle anyway. And if you go to chapter 4, at chapter 4, verses 10 to 11, we, we read there, the, So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell 
of Israel, 30,000 foot soldiers. And also the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And so then the news, of course, comes to Eli that, 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 that they had lost the war, that his kids were, uh, were, were, uh, were killed, and that the ark had been taken. And once he learned that, he had a heart attack and he died himself. So the judgment came. Now what happened with, uh, with the ark was kind of humorous. Um, the, the Philistines, they, they bring it with them. Now, of course, they're proud, they're happy because the, the ark is the presence of God. So in their mind, we defeated the God of the Israelites. So they bring the ark and, and, and bring it and they, they place it inside the temple of their god, Dagon. And what happens with Dagon, apparently a big image of Dagon, the, you know, when, when they leave, the next morning they come and Dagon is boom, flat on the floor. Well, maybe they thought, well, maybe it's a coincidence, maybe there's a wind or something. That, so, so they straighten him up. And the next day they come up and he's back again. But this time, he's all broken, the head's one side, the body's on the other side. So they finally figured out there's something going on here, so we got to get rid of this thing. <laughs> so they get rid of the ark, and, it, and the ark finds its way to Kir- Kirjath-Jerim in the house of Abinadab. Now, it is here where we pick up the story of revival. So let's go to chapter 7. This is 1 Samuel chapter 7, and we'll start in verse 2. And so it was that the ark remained in Kirjath Jerem a long time. It was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now, I, I think it's a pretty sad thing that it took the Israelites 20 years to realize that the problem wasn't that God was not with them, but that they weren't with God. 20 years it took them to, I mean, you think about it, come on, guys. It seems like common sense, but no, 20 years they had abandoned God. Now, it could be, notice that it says that the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So it could be that the Israelites started to whine and complain. Man, why why aren't these things happening anymore? You know, we used to hear stories about what God used to do. Our forefathers, they used to tell us about, you know, God did this and that and miracles. Why isn't that stuff happening anymore? You know, I wonder if those questions sound familiar to you. Oh, you know, we used to do this, that, and the other in this church before, Pastor. Well, all kinds of things were happening before. Why aren't those things happening anymore? Oh, we hear about... uh, um, you know, how many people are baptized in other parts of the world? There's hundreds and even thousands of people that are baptized. You've probably seen the videos and pictures. Uh, you know, a long pool, a long line of people, and all kinds of people being baptized and accepting the Lord. What's happening? Why aren't these things happening here? Hmm. It took 20 years for the Israelites to realize that the problem wasn't God. The problem was them. Could it be the same with us? We were asked the same questions. It isn't God the problem. The problem is us. Yeah. You know, we're thankful that God is patient. Again, he waited 20 years for for these guys. And God is patient with us. But let's not forget that God will not wait forever. So... God waited 20 years. The children of Israel realized that what they were doing wasn't working. 
God knew it, and, and this was the right time for, for them to come back. So let's go to verse 3. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart. So notice again from verse 2, all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So now Samuel speaks to them and says, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts. So the reason the children of Israel are suffering is because they were far from the Lord. They were there doing their own thing. They were following the desires of their own heart. They were doing exactly what God told them not to do. God said, you shall not have any gods before me. And what did they have? They had all kinds of gods before him. Right? They were doing exactly what God told them not to do. And yet at this juncture now, they finally understand, even if temporarily, that the so-called gods that they were following, well, they were nothing. And that the only one who they, who they could trust and depend on was the Lord, was God, was Jehovah. So they were, the, the, the thought was, and, and the counsel of, of Samuel is, if you return. See, this is the first requirement for revival to happen. Revival requires repentance. Now, 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 let's qualify this. It, it isn't any kind of repentance. You remember the repentance of, of, of Judas, right? You know, he was, he, he was sorry, but he was sorry for the consequences of his sin. Not because he hurt God, but because, because of what's going to happen to him. And of course, that's why he hung himself. Some people just say, I'm sorry. But that's not enough. Notice that, that Samuel says, if you return to the Lord with all your heart. So when we think about repentance and, and revival, revival requires sincere repentance. Revival if there is sincere repentance. What does sincere repentance look like? Well, you know, the word return, the word return that, that uh, Samuel uses here, and the word uh, uh, repent is the same word in Hebrew, and, and it's a word that means to turn around, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a word that means to do a 180, if you will. So when there is sincere repentance, there is a change in direction that we go. There is a change in our life, in who we are and what we do. Sincere repentance requires change. We cannot claim to, have, to repent if we're following the same direction. Sincere repentance, or, or rather revival, requires sincere repentance. There's got to be a change. I remember hearing about um, a man who was uh, committed a murder and was sentenced to death. But as it happens, the man's brother, the murderer's brother, had some, some pool with a state. He had some influence. Apparently the state was heavily indebted to his brother. And so the brother goes and, and visits the governor. He had some pull, so he meets with the governor, and he asks for a pardon for his brother. And apparently his influence that, with the state was so much that the governor issued the pardon. So he takes the pardon and his letter, puts it in his pocket, and goes visits his brother in jail. And, he, and he, when he sees him, he, says, he asks the question, what will be the first thing you do if, if they issue a pardon for you? And he said, well, I'll tell you the first thing that I'll do. I'll go see that judge who sentenced me, and I'll kill him. And then the next thing I'm going to do, I'm going to go and see that the chief witness that witnessed against me. And I'll murder him too. That's what I'm going to do. Well, his brother arose, kept the letter in his pocket, and he just simply left the prison. See, what this man had done, he had deserved the death, but, but he had the opportunity for a pardon. But a pardon required repentance, a change. There was no change, 
there could be no forgiveness, right? And by the way, it's the same with us, right? The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's not just simply confessing like, all right, well, let me just confess it. You've got to repent. Yeah, but that's changed. Is there no repentance? There's no forgiveness. It's just the way it is, right? So revival requires sincere repentance. That's the first requirement. Let's look at the second one. Let's look at the second one. I, and by the way, uh, um, there's got to be, a, again, a change in the direction that you go. You can't continue. It. What you have today is what you did yesterday. You can't expect a different tomorrow if you continue doing the same things today, right? There's got to be a change, right? In fact, it was Albert Einstein who said, when he, when he talked about the definition of insanity, he said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting a different result. That's insanity. So if you want something different in your life, you got to try a different approach, right? Again, sincere repentance. The second one we find in uh, verse, uh, uh, the second part of verse 3. Uh, and, and really, uh, the, the, the second one is revival requires sacrificial commitment. Sacrificial commitment. Notice the, the second part of verse 3. Then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you, and prepare your heart for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So, let's put it together. If you return the Lord to the Lord with all your heart, then... Put away the foreign gods and the asterisks. Now, you may wonder, why does putting away these, these foreign gods require a sacrifice? Well, think about it. At this stage in the history of the Israelites, most of those people had worshipped those, those, those false gods all their lives. That is all they knew, these, these false gods. And so now uh, you are telling them to put away these gods that they've known all their lives. That, that's a big sacrifice for them. It requires a lot of commitment. But that's what they needed to do, friends. That's what they needed to do. If you want different results than what you're getting, again, you need to try a different approach. The things you did yesterday have brought you to this life today. If you want something different, you have, something, you have to do something different today so you can create a different tomorrow. Amen. There's no, this is common sense. There's just no other way about it. Now think about it. If, let's say you, you want a better job, right? You want a better job. Um, maybe, maybe you like the job that you're in, but you want more money. You want a, a, a raise. Uh, you don't want to be in an entry-level position forever, or maybe, you know, you don't want to be at the front desk. You want something better, right? If you want something better, you need to try to find what can you do to make yourself more marketable, if you will, right? You can't, you know, things are not going to just land on your lap. At times, you got to do something about it. So, so maybe you need to have the skills that the employer wants. So maybe now you need to devote your time and your energy to seek to develop those skills, you know? Maybe you need to um, understand what exactly the employer needs so that you can fulfill those needs. The point is, if you sit back and do nothing, you're going to be in that position forever, right? Because you can't expect to have something better if you don't do something about it, right? Well, friends, it's the same thing with our spiritual lives. It's the same thing with our spiritual lives. Maybe you've been wanting a, a, a greater and more intimate relationship with God, but it doesn't seem to be happening. 
Maybe you have been waiting to, uh, uh, wanting to be involved in the church and some ministry of the church, but nothing is happening. Maybe you're sitting there and saying to yourself, oh, I wish this church this, did this, that, and the other, and, and all oh, things like we used to do before. I wish they did that. But what can you do differently? What can you do about it? And so there's, there's four uh, suggestions there. You have it also in your, in your study guide. Maybe, the first one, maybe you can start having a devotional life. Amen. Talked about that two weeks ago when we, uh, we were snowed in in, our, in the message online of secrets to, to, to growth, secret to spiritual growth, right? And again, because our hearts and our lives are so crowded, the first thing that goes by the wayside is devotional time. Trust me, that's, I know how it is. You don't spend the time with God because you don't have any time. But you can't expect to be different. You can't expect to, to, to have that revival if you're not spending time with God. Amen. And so if you want things to be different, to be, to be better for you, start by having a devotional life. If you haven't done that, start doing it. It's, the, it's still the new year. You can, you can still call it a, a resolution. Yeah, yeah, devotional life. And, or maybe, number two, maybe you can volunteer to do things in the church. As I said earlier... When things happen in the church, they just don't happen. They happen because there's people behind the scenes who dedicate their time and their energy and their resources and their gifts to serve God. So maybe you can volunteer to do that. Sometimes, and I acknowledge at times, maybe as leaders, we don't ask. And some people won't do anything unless they're asked. I know that. But, but, but you know, this is your church. This is a family. And, 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 and you are part of the family. So listen, you, all you have to do is, you know what, we'd like to do this, Pastor. We need more choristers. Or, you know what, I'd like to sing more. Uh, uh, Terrence, we really need that, that, um, that praise team back on track, right? And you sing, but, you don't, but nobody's asking. Well, but listen, talk to Terrence. We could use more people. We want that, that, that praise team back on track, right? So listen, you can join the praise team. Yeah, volunteer. Uh, if you have a dream about a ministry that could help spread God's agenda or the mission and the vision of this church, then talk to me about it. I always like to hear about ideas for new ministries or new things that we ought to do. You know, it just you know, because God doesn't always only speak to me. He speaks to you too. You know, the reason we had this homeless ministry in, in Christmas is because God spoke to uh, Earl. And then we did it. And so this is the kind of thing that we, we need to continue doing. So just talk to them. Talk to one of the elders. Huh? Perhaps you could do some homework and find ways that you could um, be a service in the church or, or, or find a way so that our light here in, in, in the Nashville area is not flickering. Right? That our light here in this community would be shining brightly. Right? But it takes us to do that. Right? So, so again, sacrificial commitment. There's got to be a commitment to change. Intentionality, and again, at times that requires sacrifice. And I will tell you, I, will, I have learned in my life that every, everything that I, accomplishments that I've had that I feel proud of, all of them have required sacrifice and commitment. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And that's how revival will happen, friends. See, the Israelites could not repent, could not return to God and still keep serving those foreign gods. It could not happen, friends. They had to change direction. If you keep doing what you're doing now, you're, not, you're never going to have any different than what you already got. And this applies to the church as well. This applies to our spiritual lives. 
Pastor um, and author Andrew Murray said it this way, a true revival means nothing less than a revolution, casting out the spirit of worldliness and making God's love triumph in the heart. So revival requires sacrificial commitment. Revival if there's sacrificial commitment. The third requirement for revival to happen is revival requires us to submit to our lives to God's authority. So notice verse 4. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Asterisks and served the God only, the Lord only. So remember, this is what, God, what, what Samuel told them. If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away these foreign gods. This was a sacrifice for them because they served their gods all their life. But now they acknowledge the Lord's authority. And what did they do? They put them away. They put away the gods and served God only. They submitted to the authority of God. Submission. You know, that, that, that seems to be like a bad word these days. Submission. We don't use those words, that word anymore. It's, it's not politically correct. But it, it's defined as the willful act of yielding to the power, control, or authority of another. And submission must be a voluntary act. Yeah. It is, it, is a, it is a critical part of the learning process. Submission, it is a critical part of our spiritual growth. Uh, it is a key concept in Scripture, and any, every true disciple of God will be submissive, submitting to his authority. See, the world tells you, tells you to push your way to the top. In contrast, Christ's way is the way of submission. And he gave us the example of that. He submitted to his Father, and, and he gave his life for us, and God, of course, exalted him in due time. God will do the same thing to us. What 1 Peter 5 says, submit your way to the Lord, and he will exalt you in due time. Huh? So, so revival requires us to submit our lives to the Lord's authority. What he says goes because he's a boss. Amen. Amen? And finally, re re uh, fourth, revival requires significant action. So let's look at verses 5 through 7. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured out before the Lord, and fasted that day, and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And notice that they acknowledged their sin, right? And Samuel said to the children of Israel at Mizpah, now when the Philistines heard uh, that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel, and when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Now, they were afraid with good reason, I would say, because the Philistines had defeated them a number of times before. You know, fear is something that paralyzes you. It doesn't permit you to go further to do the things you, you need to do. Fear. Have you, have, have you ever been afraid? Are there things that you're afraid of? Yeah? I know of somebody who is deathly afraid of spiders. Anytime this person sees a spider... She screams and she is paralyzed. Now, now, this person is 500 times bigger than a spider. This person can squash the spider in a second. But she seeks an alternate, alternative means, mainly her husband, to get rid of the spider. Right? I'm not going to say any names. But fear paralyzes you, right? It doesn't allow you to move forward. So, so... 
the Israelites, well, they were afraid. Again, they had plenty of good reasons. But, but now had, something had changed. Because Samuel had told them, return to the Lord and put away these gods. They acknowledged God's authority. And even though it was a sacrificial commitment, they did it. So things were changed. So notice uh, verses 9 through 11 and then verse 13. And Samuel took a, a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the man of Israel went up out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below beth Car. Verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Notice they took action. And when they took action, finally, the Philistines were defeated. You know, revival requires significant action. Yeah. Yeah. If we want revival, there's got to be, th- you know, there's, there's be things we, we ought to do. In fact, you know, you, you have there on your, um, inside your bulletins, uh, in, your, in your study guides, it says revival if. If all the sleeping folk will wake up. If all the lukewarm folk will fire up. If all the dishonest folk will confess up. If all the disgruntled and depressed folk will cheer up. If all the estranged folk will make up, notice this one, if all the gossipers will shut up, if all the true soldiers would stand up, if all the dry bones will shake up, if all the church members will pray up, then we can have a revival. But it requires sincere repentance, sacrificial commitment, submission to the Lord's authority, and taking significant action. See, revival is not going to happen by just wishing it. You know, there's nothing wrong with praying about it. We pray for a revival to happen, but we need to cooperate with God for it to happen. It's not going to happen any other way. It's not going to fall from the sky and all this, God's, God's going to all of a sudden do it like this and all of a sudden there's a revival. No, no, friends. There is a, 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 something that is needed from us. Amen. Cooperate with God. Are you willing to cooperate with God today? Amen. You say, I want, I, I, I acknowledge, again, you saw earlier that if, if, if you answer yes to any of those questions, even partially, it means you need a revival. It means that I need a revival. And by extension, the church needs a revival. And if it needs a revival, it's because we're dead. But God wants to revive us. Let's cooperate with God for that to happen. Amen. Is that your desire? Cooperate with God today. Repent, uh, commitment, submission, and taking action. Amen. There is power in God to make that happen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.